This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Rava. Here is the title of our message this morning. It is titled, The Ark of the Covenant. That's, of course, the Old Covenant Ark. The Ark of the Covenant designed to reveal New Covenant realities in Jesus. The Old Testament is the New Covenant concealed, and the New Testament, the New Covenant at least, is the Old Covenant revealed. And so, you know, there's a lot of truth to that because uh, the Old Covenant is filled with types and shadows of the New Covenant. They are the shadow of the real, which is Jesus. Amen. And so (laughs) it's no different with the Ark of the Covenant. And so what we're going to see today is how the Ark of the Covenant is actually, or was actually designed all along, like the rest of the tabernacle and eventually the temple as it was built. It is all designed to reveal new covenant realities in Jesus. Praise God. And so that's what we're going to see today. We're going to look at this wonderful type and shadow, this old covenant type and shadow, and see just the wonderful, wonderful realities that it shows to us about being in Jesus, about being a believer, a new covenant believer. Amen. So let's begin by looking at Hebrews chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 1 to 5. And today we're going to read mostly from the New Living Translation. So Hebrews 9 verse 1 to 5. It says, that first covenant, so you know it's talking about the old covenant. That first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. So it's making a reference to the first tabernacle, but then also later as it was built, a temple. So it's making a reference to that old covenant way of worshiping. Verse 2, it says, there were two rooms in that tabernacle. So it's talking about the one that that was movable, that moved with them as they traveled towards the promised land from Egypt. So there were two rooms in the tabernacle. In the first room were a lampstand, a table, and sacred loaves of bread on the table, also known as the showbread. Then it says there, (laughs) this room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain, and behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. In that room were a gold incense altar and, watch this, a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the Ark, now watch this real carefully. Inside the Ark were a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff, or you could say Aaron's rod, that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of divine glory. Those are angels, winged angels, whose wings stretched out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement, but we cannot explain these things in detail now. So even right there, and I believe Paul was the author here, but even though it's not specifically uh, established, um, notice how the writer here basically says 
There is so much that I can show you and tell you about the typologies in the Ark of the Covenant. And there's not enough time for that. I can't tell you about the angels, the cherubim, the wings, and why they're covering it, and why they're looking down. There's every bit of detail in that entire structure, not just the Ark of the Covenant, has a meaning. And we've done some teaching on that. Like, for example, the poles. Uh, you know, every single pole that the structure, the internal structure was built from, uh, has a meaning. You know, the, the how they go into the ground and the foundation they have, it all has a meaning. It's just wonderful typologies and shadows of the believer in Jesus today. But nonetheless, so today our focus is on the Ark of the Covenant. Now notice, <laughs> as we read there, he described a number of things. And you know, I'm the kind of person that always likes to know, what does it look like? Give me a picture. I want to see. And so I came across some of these that we can use. Uh, and I want to show you just to give you a bit of a pictorial idea of what this looked like. So here's the first slide. This is now <clears throat> the structure. This is the tabernacle that it spoke about. And this was a portable structure that, you know, they could tear down and pack away move to the next location as God was leading them, put it up again, and continue worship there. This was the place of worship. <laughs> this is what is known as the tabernacle. You see that it has a fence on the outside. It has a great entrance there. You'll see, I think it's in purple stripes. And then on the inside, you have the different elements as they go through the rituals of entering the holy place. And then you see there's a little building that has a bit of a roof on it. And that's the building that it's talking about where there were two rooms in there. The first, as you went in, was called the holy place. And then there was a curtain in between. I'll show you that in a moment. And the deeper room, or the one further in, was known as the most holy place. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And Scripture tells us that the presence of God was also where it dwelt. Now He dwells with us in every single one of us. But that's what that is. Okay, so that's <clears throat> that first one. Let me show you the next one. I'm going to show you five. Now, that's basically a top view of that structure that had a roof, which is the tabernacle that we that spoke about. And you'll see that firstly, as you come in through the left, you'll see that that was the holy place. And then that line in between is that curtain that it spoke about. And then within that is the holy of holies, or the most holy place. It's known either way in Scripture. And so that's what that looked like. Now, <laughs> the next one shows us... Um, now, what we've done here is we've taken the top off, the roof off, and we're showing you a, t a view from the top. And so you'll see on the bottom left is the holy place. That's the first room. And you'll see all the different elements there. And then you see there's a curtain. And then on the going towards the top right is the most holy place and that's where you see the Ark of the Covenant. It must have been so beautiful and magnificent because everything was covered in gold, it was polished, it was shiny, so you can just imagine how beautiful and wonderful it must have looked like. And over and above that, the presence of God was in that place with the Ark of the Covenant. And so that must have been pretty phenomenal. Alright, so let's go to the next one then. There's the Ark of the Covenant as it was carried as they traveled. And so you see the poles there. And so there would be one priest in each end, all four ends, and they would carry it on their shoulders. 
and <clears throat> there's the ark over there and you'll see that there's the cherubim on top with the wings stretched out over the cover of the ark of the covenant now notice you'll see that it was a uh, as it described that a wooden chest that was layered in gold and then it also had a lid on top and that's what you see there with that what the cherubim the angels are on that's the lid which is also known as the mercy seat. Okay, now next one. So now there we've taken off the mercy seat. We've taken off the lid with a cherubim on it. And remember, it said that inside the ark, and God had told Moses and Aaron, of course, the high priest, to put all this in there. Now notice, first and foremost, there's the tablets of stone on which the Ten Commandments were written by God Himself, right? And so... That represents the law of God. Then next to it, you'll see that there is a rod and it's budding. It's actually producing leaves. So even though it's a rod that was cut off and disconnected from its root and from the ground, taken from the ground, it actually supernaturally, divinely carried on uh, doing that because it made a point about what God had to say. And I'm going to describe all that in a moment. And then next to that on the right, You'll see that there is a pot, a golden pot, as it said, and there's manna inside of it. So notice, three different things. The tablets of stone, Aaron's rod or Aaron's staff, who's the high priest, and the manna when God supernaturally provided food for them when there was no food to be found. And those are the three items that we see. Now, remember, the lid or the mercy seat, I don't really like calling it a lid because it's a mercy seat, the mercy seat was put on top of that and where the cherubim are on, with their wings stretched out, looking down, and the blood was actually um, uh, sprinkled on that. Was that the last one or do we have one more? Okay, so that's five. All right, so that's to give us an idea of what we've just read right here and what is found in the Ark of the Covenant. So let's continue now, or at least... I want to go back for a moment, and we're going to see it now. I want us to read again verse, verse 4. So yes, Hebrews 9 verse 4 again. Watch what it says there, because now this is where I want to show you what I want to show you today. It says, In that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant. So it's talking about the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place, which was covered with gold on all sides. You've seen that. Inside the Ark, remember, it said, were a gold jar containing manna. That's one. Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves. That's two. And the stone tablets of the covenant. That's three. So you see that three specific things were placed in the Ark of the Covenant. Now, why those three things? Why did God tell them to put those three things in there? Not something else. Not some other element from the tabernacle. Not something else from you know, the journey. I mean, why didn't he say put some of the stones that you picked up from the middle of the sea as I opened the sea and you crossed the Red Sea, you know? Why didn't you just take a rock and put it there? Because you remember when they got there, they built a little thing and worshipped God. I mean, he could have picked anything, but he picked these three specific items. Manna, Aaron's rod, and the tablets of the covenant. And so we see, first and foremost... And I wish I could get into all of this, but if I do, this message is going to be a two, three hour message. But what we see here is, is that the manna, first of all, represents 
God's providence. It represents His ability to provide for His people. And if you want to study that, Exodus 16 verses 2 to 4 tells you that. <clears throat> we won't look at that, but I'm just giving you the reference today. Secondly, Aaron's rod, or his staff, as the New Living puts it, represents God's authority. Because remember, he delegated his authority to Aaron as high priest. And we see that in Hebrews 5 verse 4. So that's what the rod represents. It represents God's authority. Even though you're delegated to Aaron, that's what it represented. And then thirdly, the tablets of stone, of course, represent God's holy law or His holy standard, right? Because He is holy. And so that's His holy standard. And so we see that in Exodus 24, verses 7 and 12. So the three items represent... Uh, God's providence, God's authority, and God's holy law. Okay, That's what they represent. And then, just before we continue with that, I want to show you something else that will bring this all together as we go towards the end of our message. Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 15 from the Amplified Translation. Watch this. It says, talking about uh, Aaron as high priest. God is basically telling Moses to tell Aaron, these are, this is how he's put to perform his high priestly functions. And so he says, Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which, which is all the type of Jesus, remember? That is, watch this, for the sins of the people, and bring its blood within the veil into the most holy place. Look at that. And do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, which is another offering. And, watch this, Sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. So basically, what God instituted as the old covenant type and shadow, as part of the Ark of the Covenant, He said what Aaron needs to do and future high priests until the cross, what they need to do is they need to sacrifice the animals as prescribed by God, which is a type and shadow of Jesus, and take their blood, and then only the high priest could enter the most holy place. No one else could. Only he could once a year on the Day of Atonement. The other priests could go into the holy place and take care of the candles and the bread and all that. But only the high priest could go into the most holy place. Anyone else who went there would drop dead because they, they just weren't rich, uh, prepared ritually and like they should for the ceremony. And so here he says that what the high priest would do is go into the most holy place once a year and sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice for sin over the mercy seat. Remember the thing that I referred to as a lid. So now, just think of this picture. Here's this wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant. It is layered with gold all around. Inside is, are the representations of God's providence, God's authority, and God's law. And on top of it, there's a cover, the mercy seat, which represents mercy. That's what's called the mercy seat. And there are angels watching over it, and the blood is sprinkled on this mercy seat, the blood of the sacrifice for sin. So now you have to ask yourself, what is this all about? <laughs> Why those thing, three things inside? Why mercy seat? Why blood? Let me show you a quick slide 
of what that kind of looked like based on what we've seen earlier. So here it is here. Alright, so there's a close-up of the mercy seat. Now, there's no blood on it just yet, because obviously this is in the midst of travel. But there's the lid right there. There's the mercy seat. And there's the angels you see on the knees with their wings stretched out. And so the priest would come in through either side and spray and sprinkle the blood between them and on the front as well, as it said. Now remember, within that chest are the three items, the three things that God told them to put in there. So what do they all mean? What do they all typify? What do they all say to us? How is it applicable to us today as New Covenant believers beyond the cross? It is so powerful. It is so awesome. And so let's talk about that for a moment. Let's talk about the connection between the manna, Aaron's rod, the tablets of stone, and the sins of the people. Because that's what the highlights are. That's what the main points seem to be there. So, as we continue reading from Hebrews chapter 9, watch what verses 9 and 10 tell us about all of that. Just in case you're wondering, are you sure it's a type and shadow? Are you sure it's showing us something about us as New Covenant believers? <laughs> it certainly is. And in actual fact, the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Lord, actually tells us that in case we have some doubt. Watch this. Hebrews 9, verse 9 and 10. Talking about all of that that we just read, about the ark, the tabernacle, and all that, because it's the same chapter, it's the same context, right? It says, <laughs> this is an illustration, watch this, pointing to the present time. In other words, it's a type and shadow that illustrates what is to come in Jesus and what you will find in Jesus. That's in essence what he's saying. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the conscious uh, consciences of the people who bring them. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies. Physical regulations that were in effect, watch this, only until a better system could be established. Leave that there for a moment. Watch those things there. So first of all, it's a type and a shadow because it points to something greater. It points to something superior. That's what it's saying. Secondly, we see there that the sacrifices that they brought had to be brought every single year because it wasn't the actual blood of Jesus ultimately. And so therefore they couldn't be cleansed completely in once and for all for their sin. So they had to keep repeating it and therefore had to be conscious of sin and sinfulness all the time. And he says that system is old. Now we have a new system that is no longer like that is what he's saying. And so he says in the old system, they had to do rituals and do things. He says the new is not quite like that, he says. It is a better system that is established, right? And so that's pretty powerful. So in essence, what we can conclude from that too, or what we understand from that, is, is that the manna, the rod, and the tablets all point to a far superior covenant, or should I say, two far superior new covenant realities that you and I have in Jesus. So when we see what it is that they represent, how they apply to us, then we can see, oh, okay, that's what it says about me, and that's why he did it, and this is what I can have certainty in as far as Jesus and the finished work of the cross. It's pretty powerful, but that's what this is saying. So the author of Hebrews himself said it clearly, that's what this is. Now, to understand 
Why those three items? Because if you think about it, remember I said to you earlier, manna represents God's providence. Okay, why do we need mercy to cover God's providence? And why do we need the sprinkled blood for our sin to cover God's providence? It kind of confuses us a little bit, right? It's like, what does our sin and mercy have to do with providence? Okay, you could say, well, because we are fallen and we're sinful, we need mercy, we need the blood of Jesus, so we can enjoy God's providence. That is partly true, and that is another dimension of this truth. But that's not what I'm going to show you today. The same thing applies for God's authority and for God's law. Same thing applies for that. Why cover His authority with mercy and with the sprinkled blood of Jesus? Why cover His law with mercy and with the sprinkled blood of Jesus? Right? Well, let me show you why and why God told them to put those items in there, which is all a type and shadow for us and tells us why this is for us. First of all, let's see what they did. Let's see what the children of Israel, what the Israelites at that time, let's see what they did with those specific three things. And then you'll see it's going to fit into place and it's going to help us see, ah, that's why he told them to put it in there. And that's why he put his mercy to cover it and sprinkled the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice for our sin, over it. And of course, again, I wish we had time. This could probably easily be like a four-part series at least. But let's have a look at Numbers chapter 21, verse 5. They were going through a time and a place to reign where there was no food, no food to be found. And so they began to go hungry. And so they came complaining and moaning and said, Moses, what have you done to us? And so... But then what God does is He provides manna for them. So what God in essence says is, I'm going to send down food from heaven. One, one place that says angel, food of angels. So food from heaven and you're going to have it. And they actually had it for 40 something years, 45 years or something like that. They had this manna from heaven rain down every single day. They would go and collect as much as they needed for the next day. And that was it all for the day, and, and they could eat that. And so God supernaturally provided it for them. Imagine that. Imagine that for some reason, you end up not having enough to get food. And so you cry out to God, and you say, Father, I need to eat, otherwise I'm going to starve and die. And He sends you a promise. He speaks to you, and He says, I'm going to rain food from heaven and sustain you every single day, one day at a time. Trust me. I mean, can you imagine living like that? It, it must have been so phenomenal. But yet, watch what happens here. Numbers 21 verse 5, what they did with that. <laughs> it says, And they began to speak against God. Look at that. And Moses, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. Watch this. And we hate this horrible manner. Now, I know the New Living puts it like that, but if you look at the original, it's actually say, it actually is a bit cruder than that. But that's what they're saying. Look at that. They despised God's provision. They said, we hate this manner. In other words, we are fed up with it. We don't want it anymore. You know, the closest experience that I can relate to with that is when I was in the army and I was deployed, <clears throat> you know, in, in South Africa. I served in the South African Armed Forces 
And we were deployed. I was deployed for most of my time there. You know, they trained me and raised me up and boom, sent me off. And um, I remember one of the times when I was deployed for months at a time, um, they gave us our food packs because we had no idea how we would get supply. I mean, we were, uh, anyway, I can't tell you the details, but we had to carry this army food. And even though it was little packs, it actually was enough nutrition for a while. It could sustain you for days. Uh, but in the beginning, it was okay. But after eating the same thing over and over and over for days without end, you start despising it. You start feeling like, I want something else. I want a steak. I want some cake. I want some dessert. And so, you know, I remember the last time that I was deployed, I was there. I was deployed for three months. I, we literally went into enemy, enemy territory without them knowing for three months. And I remember after about one and a half months, I began to despise my army provision, my, my, my rations. And I know how I felt. And so this is what they were doing. They were, but this is now food from heaven that is well enough to sustain them. I mean, you talk about calorie-free, fat-free, glucose-free. What else is there? What are the things that we not look for in food? I mean, this was perfect food from heaven. And yet, they complained after a while, and they said, we hate this horrible manna. So in other words, the reason why God told them to put the manna in the ark and cover it with His mercy and then sprinkle it with the blood for their sin was because that's exactly what it represented. The manna represented their rejection of God. It represented them rejecting His ability to provide for them and His provision. And so God could have just judged them. He could have just sent His wrath upon them. He could have just let the Lord take place, but He didn't. Instead, He said, you know what? What that manna now represents is you rejecting my provision. You're rejecting my ability to provide for you. And I'm not going to hold grudges. I'm not going to hold it against you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to cover it with my mercy and then I'm going to sprinkle it uh, with the blood, which is a type of the blood of Jesus, so that you can be forgiven for that, even though technically the law wouldn't let you be forgiven. So you can see that that's what it really represented and that's why there was mercy and blood over it. Powerful stuff, isn't it? Okay, so that's the manna. Now, let's look at Aaron's rod. Remember, it represents God's authority, right? Let's read number 17. We're going to read verses 1 to 5, and then we're going to jump to 8 to 10, just for time's sake. Watch this. So, 1 to 5 first. Then the Lord said to Moses, <laughs> Tell the people of Israel to bring you 12 wooden staffs, one from each leader of Israel's ancestral tribes, and inscribe each leader's name on his staff. So this is now, well, you'll see where, where this is going. Inscribe Aaron's name on the staff of the tribe of Levi. For there must be one staff for the leader of each ancestral tribe. Place these staffs in the tabernacle in front of the ark containing the tablets of the covenant where I meet with you. Buds will sprout on the staff belonging to the man I choose. Then I will finally put an end 
to the people's murmuring and complaining against you. Okay, so what was going on there, basically, to give you a bit of background, is, is that, remember, God appointed Moses and he appointed Aaron as the high priest. So they were the leaders as they traveled to the promised land. Now, again, after a while, they are complaining about the leadership. They don't like the people God appointed as leaders. And specifically, they, have, they take up issue with Aaron. <clears throat> Why must Aaron be high priest? Why can't the rest of us be a high priest? I mean, we're not happy with what he's doing. He doesn't bring us the answers we want and the results we want. So, you know, maybe one of us can do a better job. And they begin to complain and murmur about God's appointed leadership, about God's delegated authority. So really and truly, in essence, they were complaining about God's authority and His ability to choose the best and the right leadership for them. So again, it's, it's rebellion. And that's what's going on here. Now, let's carry on reading that from verse 8, 8 and 10 to 10. When he went into the tabernacle of the covenant the next day, he found, watch this, so Moses did that. He found that Aaron's staff, or Aaron's rod, representing the tribe of Levi, had sprouted. You see, this is why it sprouted. But it blossomed and produced ripe almonds. Can you believe that? He has a thing that's been cut off, taken out of the root, and placed on its own, and it's producing as though it was rooted and, you know, taking sustenance from the ground. Verse 9, When Moses brought all the staffs out from the Lord's presence, he showed them to the people. Each man claimed his own staff, because remember they inscribed their name on it. And the Lord said to Moses, Place Aaron's staff permanently before the ark of the covenant to serve as a warning to rebels. There it is. That's the reason why he told them to put it in the ark. This should put an end to their complaints against me and prevent any further deaths. In other words, because they were relating to God by law, they would die because of their sin of rebellion. And so to prevent that from happening, what God said is, first of all, let me prove to you that Aaron is my chosen, that I have chosen to be the high priest and he is my leader and he's got my delegated authority. So he causes this rod to bud and produce almonds. And then once they see that, obviously it's a miracle, a supernatural divine miracle. Then he says, put it in the ark so it can be a continuous reminder for them not to rebel against me again. So Aaron's rod in essence represents their rebellion against God and his authority. And this is why it needed to be in the ark, covered with mercy, sprinkled with the blood for, the, for sins. Amen. I mean, this is powerful, powerful stuff. Then let's talk about the third one real quick, which is the tablets of stone. Watch what happens. Nehemiah 9 verse 29. I'm only giving you one reference for time's sake. There are more. <laughs> Watch this. Nehemiah 9 29. You warned them to return to your law. Talking about the Israelites. In other words, they started, they started disobeying God's law. But they became proud and obstinate and, watch this, disobeyed your commands. They did not follow your regulations by which people will find life if only they obey. They stubbornly turned their backs on you and refused to to listen, in other words, listen to his law. 
So once more, God tells them to put the tablets of stone in the ark. But this is the reason why. It is because the tablets of stone represent their disobedience toward God. And this is why it had to have the mercy of God over it and the sprinkled blood for their sin. And so you can see, you're starting to see how that applies to us as far as, you know, being new covenant believers. I mean, just think about it. We too sometimes reject God, reject just what He's doing and how He does it and how He provides for us. Sometimes we take issue with how things work out and how He's not doing it for us. It may not be us rejecting manna from heaven, but you know, when in our heart sometimes we have a pity party, we get upset with God as we call it and all that, it's no different. We're taking up an issue with God and we are rejecting His provision and His ability to provide for us. You know, we get upset and we say, oh, I'm just going to stop praying. I'm going to stop believing God because He's not healing me. He's not providing for me. He's not doing this. It's the same thing. We are literally rejecting His ability to provide for us. And so this is why we need His mercy through the finished work of the cross and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus for our sin, specifically our sin of rejecting God's ability to provide for us. And then on top of that, Aaron's rod. It represents rebellion against God. <laughs> How many times can we say, yeah, we've done that. We may not have done a deed or an act, but we may have thought it. In our hearts, we may have rebelled against God. It's like, you know, why do I need to keep doing this with church? Why do I need to just keep supporting church? Why do I need to listen to the pastor and the leaders? Why do I need to do this? And we take up issue with the things of God, with the leadership of God, with the authority of God. Well, yeah, sure, God says I shouldn't do that. God says that that is not His best design for us, but we're going to change the law and we're going to do our own thing anyway. Well, <laughs> that's rebellion against God. And so there it is, covered with mercy, sprinkled with the blood for that sin. Now, does that mean that we should just go on rebelling and rejecting? Of course not. But what I'm, what I'm showing you today and what God is showing us today is, is that He's got us covered in and through Jesus. Amen. That's the thing that we want to see here. And then we talk about the tablets of stone, which represent God's perfect law. And they clearly disobeyed it, just like we do today. I mean, if we were to relate to God by law, first of all, how many of us know all Ten Commandments? And second of all, how many of us can say we've broken none? Probably none of us, right? And so at the end of the day, we've all disobeyed God in some way. And every day that goes by, sometimes God leads and guides us and we decide to just blow it off and not pay attention to it. Well, that's disobeying God because it's Him giving us an instruction. And so it definitely certainly applies to us. And so once more, our disobedience is covered with mercy and sprinkled with the blood of Jesus for our sin, for that sin. Amen. So in essence, what we see here is, is that the items in the ark were a token of the people's rejection, rebellion, and disobedience toward God. Ultimately, sin. And that's what they represent for us. They also represent our rejection, our rebellion, our disobedience, our sin. But then ultimately, it communicates to us that God's mercy covers, the, covers them all. Mercy says you don't get what you deserve. In other words, you're not going to get judged and sentenced and punished for that. 
It is covered with His mercy because of Jesus and the finished work of the cross. Then on top of that, the blood of Jesus is sprinkled over that to make sure that we are forgiven, because that's what the blood was shed for, that we are forgiven for those sins. And so what I'm trying to tell you in all of this is, and I hope no one is thinking, oh, okay, so this is, I can just rebel. I can, well, you know, <laughs> if that's how we take what we're sharing today, then I don't know who I'm talking to. But the point is, is, is that when we see just how gracious and wonderful and merciful God is, that He forgives us to the extent of rejection, rebellion, disobedience. He, it is awesome, amen. And all because of the blood of Jesus and what He did for us in and through Jesus, you see. And so ultimately we see that this is why God wanted these items in the ark, covered by His mercy and sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Covered by His mercy so we can be forgiven by the blood and the sacrifice, amen. The, or the blood of the sacrifice at least. So here's the point. Having said all of that, when God looked at the ark, all he would see is mercy and forgiveness. Because he would see the mercy seat and he would see the blood sprinkled on it. And that's what he would see. He, and that's why he had it covered. Because he wouldn't see rejection, rebellion, disobedience. He wouldn't see our sin. That's why it was placed in there. And so this is why you and I need to have the same kind of confidence that those who understood what was going on then, and I believe that most of them did, we can have confidence, praise God, when God sees me in Jesus, yes, there may still be rejection, there may still be rebellion, there may be disobedience, but God doesn't see that. God sees me covered with His mercy. He sees me washed by the blood of Jesus and forgiven of all of my sin. Isn't that awesome? I mean, this is the power of redemption. Now, as we continue reading Hebrews 9, watch us now in verse 11 and 12. It shows us exactly what I've just said there. Watch us. Hebrews 9, verse 11 and 12. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. So remember, this is all in the same context, talking about the same thing. And it says, <clears throat> remember I said earlier, this, this all points to, well, here's what it points to. He's, he's come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven. So what Aaron did, Jesus did in heaven. God's temple in heaven. Which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. Watch this now. With his own blood not the blood of goats and calves. In other words, not the type and shadow, but the real. He entered the most holy place. So he did what God told Aaron to do. Once for all time. In other words, this does not need to be repeated like Aaron had to do it every year. This is, needs to be done only one time for all time. And then it says, and secured. See, that's something Aaron could never do. And secured our redemption forever. Praise God for that. Now remember, so Jesus, so there's a tabernacle in heaven, just like the one we've just seen. And it says here that Jesus, after finishing his work of redemption on the cross, this is why we call it the finished work of the cross. And he said it is finished. <laughs> so it says here that he actually 
as our high priest, entered the most holy place in heaven. Now what is in the most holy place? The Ark of the Covenant. What is inside the Ark of the Covenant? The items that represent our sin, our rebellion, our disobedience, and all of that that we've discussed. And He sprinkled His own blood over the mercy seat. And, secu- and only, He only needed to do it one time forever. And He secured our redemption. So you and me can always have confidence that in Jesus we're always forgiven. In Jesus there is always mercy for us. So don't let religion tell you otherwise. Don't let legalism tell you otherwise. Amen. Don't let someone interpret scripture for you differently to what you've heard today. Praise God. Because in Jesus we have been secured. The mercy seat is in heaven. His blood is sprinkled. It's still there. Amen. And it's covering all our sin, our rebellion, our rejection, and so forth. Amen. We have victory in Jesus. And we can be confident for that. When we go through times where we have doubt, where we have this, where we have that, where we do what the children of Israel did, where we fall short, we can have confidence that it is covered and that the blood of Jesus has made sure that we are forgiven and secured forever. Amen. Praise God, praise God. Someone should be excited about that. I am. And so as long as the blood of Jesus remains sprinkled on the mercy seat, and it says forever, it will, which covers the tokens of our rejection, rebellion, and disobedience, ultimately our sin, we remain forgiven, accepted, and blessed by the Father. Amen. This is why you, you and I can have confidence every single day, regardless of how things go, regardless of what our behavior looks like. And I'm not saying we should just be careless about that. Awesome. We shouldn't be careless about that either. But regardless of how it goes, we can have confidence that we are forgiven, we are accepted, and we can expect to be blessed that day and every day by the Father because of what Jesus did, not because of what we do or what we don't do. Amen. That's what these types and shadows represent. And like I said to you earlier, God doesn't look inside the ark. He can if He wants to, but He doesn't. And He chose to cover it. Why? (laughs) Because that's not what He wants to dwell on about us. He doesn't want to dwell on our rebellion, our rejection, our disobedience. He wants to dwell on our redemption and the blood of Jesus that was shed for us and the fact that we are forgiven, loved, and accepted. Amen. So, Let's see things the way God sees them, because that's who we are in Jesus. Amen. Now, that old system could not adequately deal with sin as we've seen it. But Jesus did, and He does and continues to do. Praise God for that. Amen. So you don't ever have to be concerned about being redeemed, because you are, because it has been done. Praise God. Amen. (laughs) Awesome, awesome. And so these are the New Covenant realities which the Ark of the Old Covenant was designed to reveal. Praise God. And we choose to live in them. We will enjoy them in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God, praise God. I trust that blessed you today and you enjoyed that uh, somewhat study. But more than anything, that you were encouraged by that. God's grace and mercy is wonderful. His love is just endless. It is amazing. Amen. And you and I need to live in those realities, in those victories, and not let anyone else or anything else tear us down. Don't let anyone try and take the mercy seat off 
and point you to the things that Jesus and the finished work, work of the cross dealt with in your life. Amen. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.